DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Ken Pomeroy, owner of KenPom.com, college basketball numbers guru. Ken, welcome back to the show. Good morning, fellas. Nice to, nice to chat with you again. I'm curious, before we get to any specific teams, especially a couple in state, uh, the scheduling is so weird this year. The non-conference games are obviously very limited. Do you have enough info and enough data that you're confident in the model you put together? Because obviously, over the years, maybe actually we're trending towards over the decades, the, um, the selection committee had confidence in your model. They used it, and they used it again, and they used it again, and they used it again. But how confident are you this year without all those non-conference games? Well, not as confident. It's still, uh, it's still pretty solid. You always want more data. Um, you know, I, I actually monitor this when I, uh, I'm making predictions every day for scores for all these games so I can see the, uh, the error in each prediction. And errors are a little higher this year. Normally, normally the error would be like 8.8 points per game or something like that. And this year so far, it's like 9.3, 9.4. So, so there is a noticeable difference from a statistical standpoint. Um, but that said, it's not huge, and it's not something that the casual observer is going to notice without necessarily diving into the data. So, uh, so overall, I think it's, I think the model's pretty solid. You know, it could be better, but uh, but it's it's good enough for what we're dealing with. This is impossible, I think, to ask, but how much slack do you think the committee is going to give teams who've had guys in and out because of this COVID thing? Yeah, it's funny. We haven't heard a lot about those kind of things. Usually, it's, uh, there's one or two teams that, it, for you know, in a normal year, who, ha- who has a key injury and it's a pretty big deal. And there's always this point made that you know, well, you know, once once this guy comes back, like that's how the team will be judged. And I think that effect has always been overblown to some extent. Um, it's really hard to manage all that information, and I think that is the crux of the situation this year. Is that you know, guys, uh, you know, obviously, for the most part, teams that have a COVID issue, they just shut down. Uh, so it's a little different than football. But there are cases where uh, teams uh, are able to persevere, especially in the power conferences where they might have more sophisticated contact tracing. They're able to just sit a guy or two for three or four games, and then everything's back to normal. Um, but there haven't been a ton of those cases. But I, I guess the bottom line is, like, it's so it, it's just so hard to manage all that information if you're the committee, that um, I'm not going to say they're going to ignore it, but only in the most, like, key situations, I think, is that going to come into play. So, BYU, you like them? You think they're a bubble team? How is this season progressing for the Cougars? Well, uh, I think, yeah, I think right now it looks like they're still in good shape. Uh, You know, this is not a, a, you know, it's not the same BYU team from last year. <laughs> they don't have anybody on the team that is as good as a Yoli Child or TJ Hawes or, or Jake Toulson. You know, they don't have guys that can make plays when, when the defense breaks down, and that's really reflected in their stats. Like, there's, they're a pretty boring team statistically. They don't do anything great. Uh, they do enough things well that uh, I think they're clearly the second-best team in that league, and that's really the key is that uh, – the WCC is probably a two-bid league, and you know it's, it's that second bid is BYU's for the taking. And obviously, they 
struggled uh, of late losing to Pepperdine and nearly losing to Pacific. That would have maybe changed my tune a little bit if they didn't pull out the Pacific game. Which, by the way, why are they called the University of the Pacific? I mean, the campus isn't even close to the Pacific Ocean. But there's a delta and a river, and Stockton has a port, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just odd that they would play a game at Pepperdine, a campus that has a view of the Pacific Ocean, and then uh, they play a team called the University of the Pacific, and it would be like the University of Utah being called like Bear Lake University or something. <laughs> or this NBA team called the Jazz in Utah. <laughs> Craziest thing I've ever heard of. Point taken, you, point taken. What are you hearing as far as conference tournaments? Because why bother? So that's the other thing that I feel like could go either way with respect to BYU's fate is that, uh, you know, you have a team like Arizona, they have they would get into the tournament, but they've self-imposed the postseason ban. So that kind of opens up another spot for an at-large team. And if you don't play conference tournaments – then that also opens up spots because, you know, potential at-large teams and other conferences. The Missouri Valley, for instance, has maybe two at-large teams in Drake and, and Loyola Chicago. And if they played their tournament, obviously there would there'd be the possibility that both of those teams would gobble up at-large bids because a third team would win the, the conference tournament, and that would squeeze the bubble a little bit. So to get to your question, like, it, yeah, I I can't believe that a lot of conference tournaments – going to get played it doesn't it doesn't make very much sense right now you know maybe if they, if we had another month of the season there would uh, you know the there would be less of the, the virus going around fewer infections and and you could have a better chance of pulling off these tournaments without a team getting knocked out or three teams getting knocked out by the the virus but um yeah it's hard to it's hard to imagine that happening but every conference right now like no conference is canceling their conference tournament yet no. they're all talking about playing it some conferences have gone so far as to move their conference tournaments from a you know a neutral site venue to a campus venue um try to control the environment a little bit more we'll see what happens but uh it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and we've obviously heard grumblings pretty loud grumblings that you know gonzaga is like hey why are we yeah. going to go to a place for well they just have to go to, to the wc cc tournament for two days it's still you know go go down there for three nights or whatever why are we going to go there and expose ourselves to four or five different teams and other yahoos at the, you know, the, the team hotel and possibly, you know, uh, get ourselves in, in, a, in a bad situation for uh, an event that means nothing to us. Like that is, uh, you know, another issue that's coming along. So it's going to be fascinating to see, but I cannot, I cannot imagine most of these conference tournaments are going to get played. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, to me, that aside of looking at each, instead of looking at each individual conference, inside a conference, there's at least two groups of team, and then in the Power Fives and with Gonzaga, you know, there can be a third group. You've got one group of teams that's bad and just wants the season to be over. It's been exhausting. They're worn out. They're not going anywhere. What does this matter? Really, it's what we saw from college football teams that said, yeah, thanks for the bowl invite, but no thanks. We're done. So there's that group. Um, there's a middle group, and it might be the top of some leagues, where it's like, well, we got to go to the conference tournament because that's our only path to the NCAs. And then there's a group of teams 
that looks at KenPalm.com and says, we know we're in. We don't, what's the point? There's no point to this. So I'm wondering if a league that's got 12 or 14 teams might have like six teams that want to get, want to play. <laughs> and then either at the top or bottom of the league, teams are like, oh, this doesn't make any sense at all. Right. And the situation you get into is that if you go forward with those six teams, uh, you're going to be uh, assuming the conference tournament is still, uh, is, you know, the path of getting an automatic bid and crowning the conference champion. You obviously are going to have six or seven conferences that are crowning teams that otherwise wouldn't get in the tournament. And uh, that creates an interesting situation. The NCAA is supposed to be formulating some sort of policy on this. And we're kind of waiting uh, with bated breath here. Hopefully in the next week or two, we'll, we'll get some information on that. You know, will they, say that if you have a conference tournament, you know, you're required to play in that if you want to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that seems like the, like in a normal year, that would make total sense. And the fairest thing to do, possibly a little heavy-handed this year, and that will, you know, if you do implement that policy, that will convince, uh, I think, a lot of conferences to not hold their conference tournament and just, you know, send the regular season champ, which uh, – We'll see what happens. It's going to be. It will be kind of interesting how this plays out. Well, hypothetically, using Gonzaga as his example, right? The the competition they're going to face the rest of the way, they should win the rest of their games. It'll be a major upset. Maybe possibly BYU at the end of the season in the Marriott Center, but the Marriott Center isn't going to have twenty thousand people screaming and yelling like they did last year, and so it's going to be just a fraction so the environment's not going to be near the same so i suspect that gonzaga's going to win that and then if gonzaga says hey we're not going down to vegas because as you said you know who knows and we could get contact tracing and the next thing you know we got two or three guys who can't play in the ncaa tournament and we're going to blow our number one seed and this is this is our greatest chance to not just get to the final four and win it all uh suppose they just say no we're not going to do it I mean, what in the world is the WCC going to do? Because they don't want to do anything that's going to offend Gonzaga because Gonzaga's already been threatening to move, and they changed all the rules. They've made major accommodations for Gonzaga, and probably justifiably so. So if that situation comes up, would these conferences have a tournament without some teams playing? I mean, I, I, I can't see that either. Yeah, it just doesn't seem fair that, like – you're setting a, a, pretty, a bad precedent there. Uh, you know, the term bid collusion comes to mind where, you know, you're setting a precedent now where, hey, that's obviously it's good for the league. Like, if they can get away with that, if Gonzaga just decides to sit and they're able to still go to the tournament as their one seed, and now you're, you know, going to guarantee yourself to be a two-bid league. And, heck, let's just say somehow BYU puts them in position to be pretty safe. Like, they probably can't get to that spot now if they won out and, they went out and beat Gonzaga in the finale, they'd be there. But if they went out and lost to Gonzaga, they'd be pretty safe, but they'd still probably want to play in the conference tournament. Um, but hypothetically, let's just say BYU is in that spot. You know, so you had two teams that, that were safe. Like, they could both sit, and then, you know, San Francisco wins the conference tournament. Now you now you just, you know, got a three-bid league there because a couple teams decided to sit. It just doesn't. Yeah, they're, they're gonna, the phone's going to ring because ESPN's going to be on the other line saying, we're not paying you guys to get a conference final of Pepperdine versus Pacific. Pacific doesn't even sit on the ocean. Give us Gonzaga. Exactly. Give us Gonzaga. 
Yeah, that would be that would be false advertising. <laughs> exactly. But but you're exactly right. Yeah, and that's I mean that's and that's the reason you know on the flip side that's the reason teams are their conferences are trying to have these conference tournaments. If you're the Ohio Valley, like you get one date on ESPN in prime time of year, and uh, that's your conference tournament championship. So you can understand why teams are pushing or conferences are pushing forward on this. That's kind of the the driving force behind playing the season is that they are trying to you know obviously recruit. Uh, Tournament money, but you know, NCAA tournament money, but also uh, conference tournament money as well. So I'm wondering what your research has shown with very few, if any, fans in these stands. Because you look at, I was looking through the box scores of uh, some Pac-12 on Saturday night, and I saw that Stanford's playing at Tempe, and. They outshoot the Sun Devils by like three to one in the free throw line. Utah goes over to Colorado, and same situation, two plus to three in terms of free throws. I mean, rarely did you ever see that for a home team to be outshot by that many free throws. I'm wondering if you've delved into that and seen how much of a difference that has made with few, if any, fans in terms of the free-throw shooting because we normally don't see that discrepancy to the advantage of the visiting team. Yeah, I looked into this uh, about a month ago, PK, and uh, found that so normally uh, home teams get roughly two more calls a game than road teams, which is not huge, but... That is really the the driver of, of home court advantage. You know, you turn those into free throws, and you you get your your three points or so of home court advantage. And uh, this year, it has been uh, about a half of a call, half of a foul more per game uh, for the home team. Um, I mean, overall, there's still there's definitely still home court advantage. Like in conference play, home teams have won 57 percent of the time across the country, which doesn't sound overwhelming, but you got to remember that you know. Every time Gonzaga's playing at home, obviously they're playing it on the road as well and, and winning those games. So good teams still win road games. But I guess for a point of reference, you know, last four seasons, teams uh, have won 60% of their conference games at home. So uh, so it is down this year. You look at point differential, normally it's between three and three and a half. And this year it's uh, a little bit less than two and a half. So uh so it's there. So home court is still there. I think people, you know, they kind of expect right now there to not be any home court advantage. And when you see Kansas, you know, kind of repeatedly struggling, losing at home, and Duke's obviously lost multiple times at home, and you see those things, and it, you know, I think we're kind of we have rabbit ears for those kind of events, and, and we attribute that to having no fans. And no question, like the, it'd be harder to win in those places if they had fans. But but it's still hard to win on the road just because. You're not familiar with the rims. You're not familiar with the court. And travel this year has been a little more difficult for some teams. Fewer plane rides, more bus rides. I don't know what goes on with the testing on on game day and things like that, but obviously the routines are a little bit different. Fewer, you know, practices allowed in a road venue. So there's still some factors there that that make for a decent home court advantage. It's just the most fun of all those factors is the fans, and that's obviously uh, missing. Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com joining us. So you think BYU's in pretty good shape. What do you think about Utah State and the Mountain West? Are they in good shape for the NCAA tourney? They're pretty good shape as well. The Mountain West actually kind of shook out as, uh, um, you know, I think it's like kind of ideal the way it's set up where there are uh, 
at least three teams that are just completely awful in the league. So, you know, the problem has always been with uh, BYU is that there, you know, there are a lot of teams in the WCC that people haven't heard of and aren't going to be a threat to make the NCAA tournament, but they're also good enough to beat you on the road. Uh, the Mountain West isn't quite that way. I mean, New Mexico and, and San Jose State are just, you know, really bad this year, and they don't even have a home arena for that matter. Uh, Air Force is really bad. Um, and even the middle of the league, like Wyoming and, and UNLV, are not particularly good. So, um, you know, those are almost automatic wins, not quite. Utah State did lose the UNLV once, but otherwise it handled those other teams. So it's just a matter of handling business against, you know, the upper half of the league now, which is the schedule that, that the Aggies are, are embarking on. And, you know, they have a big series with Boise State in a couple of weeks at Boise. Probably need to split that to uh, to feel really good about themselves and, again, take care of business and the, the rest of their schedule. And, uh, you know, if they could finish up league play 16-4 and four in the Mountain West, I think that'll be good enough to get in. There won't be a – unlike BYU, who has, uh, you know, some quality wins in the non-conference, uh, Utah State doesn't have really anything in the non-conference, but uh, they do have a sweep San Diego State. And if they had a split against Boise State, you know, to go with the split against Colorado State, those are really your, your four, your big four of the Mountain West. Um, you know, if you're four and two against the other three teams, uh, you're going to have a really strong case, I think, to get in that large bid. How do you think being everything being in Indiana is going to affect things when we get to the tournament? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, hopefully it makes for, for better basketball. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what other impact it will have. I mean, there's going to be less travel. The schedule will be slightly more condensed. It's not going to be a, a pure bubble like the NBA, but um, there will, the protocols will be pretty strict. There's obviously a lot on the line here for the NCAA. If a team uh, has an issue in the middle of the tournament, that is going to be a major story. But it sounds like they are going to do everything in their technological power to uh, isolate people and make it so that if somebody does get infected, that the team does not have to shut down. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I don't know. That it's, uh, there, there are a lot of aspects of the season that I think you could put qualifiers on or whatever. You know, Gonzaga going un, unbeaten would be a great story. You know, the this, this schedule is a little bit shorter than usual, so maybe they wouldn't get the full uh, – credit that they would get in a normal year but the tournament itself i think is going to be pretty similar to any other tournament i would think you know again not many fans and and other issues like that you know, you're playing in these small venues but uh as far as the the play on the court i think it's it's going to be just as good as uh, any other previous season well ken as always we appreciate a few minutes thanks for coming on and uh talking a little college hoops with us all right guys appreciate it thank you Ken Pomeroy, owner of KenPom.com, college basketball numbers guru, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up at 9.05. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on The Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? 
Uh, John, while we have you, no, no, we've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our ends or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and that uh, oh. is true enough. He put it on the mark and put it right underneath the kneecap. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Utah Jazz got beat in Denver. That 11-game win streak gets snapped. This morning, our question of the morning is getting a lot of traffic at uh, Twitter and at Facebook. Twitter, David DJ James. Facebook, DJ and PK. Are we writing off the Denver loss as one of those games or is it something else? And Rye Guy says, lose one out of 12, and we complain. <laughs> yes, we do. That is true. Okay, would we, and I don't, complain is used use very loosely. I think discuss is what I would say uh, rather than complain. But if it had been something to where it was uh, 104 to 97, say, would that somehow make you feel better? Well, I guess the more competitive you make it, yes, it would make me feel better, but it wouldn't change the main storyline, which is they lost. And I think that any game they play against the Lakers and the Clippers, and now against the Nuggets, and and maybe always against the Nuggets, uh, given the playoffs last year, and the way the Nuggets have trended. um, I think you and I both feel the same way about the Nuggets on this. They were a very good team last year, or they wouldn't have gotten past the Jazz and the Clippers the way they did, down 3-1 in both series. And they'd won a playoff series the year before that. And they'd been the two and the three seeds. I mean, obviously they got it going. Now, they lost three rotation guys. Maybe two are more important than the third. But still, nonetheless, they lost three rotation guys. And right now, if you have to take a snapshot of the first quarter of the season, you would say they needed about a dozen games for a shakedown cruise, especially with the shorter camps and all that. But they figured it out. They're counting on a young guy for some offense. And defensively, okay, he's a liability and his intensity maybe comes and goes or whatever. Because, you know, he's young, he's immature, but, man, he looks talented. And when he's on, they're right back where they were, which means they're a potential playoff matchup, which means to me everything that happens when the Jazz play the Nuggets, the Clippers, or the Lakers is more interesting because they don't look like they're separated by much. And they look like they're, I don't know, four of the top five teams in the NBA. Do they look better than most or all of the East? So anytime they play, we are going to go over this with a fine-tooth comb. This is high stakes. And we're going to always do it with a look towards, okay, this is one game in January. Now we're into February. Uh, but what does this mean when we get to the playoffs? What, what can we learn? What's going to help us analyze it? We know it's different in the playoffs, but this is the most information we get. So we are going to go. We watch too much basketball, PK, not to go over this with a fine-tooth comb. This game meant more. Oh, I think everything means something. I agree. And this means more. And everything does mean something. Detroit, will mean the, the response, because what you said uh, in the last hour about energy, of course that's true. Of course you're right about that. 
Denver's like, we already lost these guys once. We're already down four games in the standings to these guys. We got to bring it. And they came out and hit four three-pointers in the first four minutes. They were four for four, and Quinn called timeout to try and stop. He could see, well, this is trending poorly. And the timeout didn't change anything. It kept trending poorly. You know, clearly Denver was fired. Poorlier. Poorlier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly Denver was worked out. So is this mean more than just another game? Yes. I think any game against the Lakers, Clippers, and Nuggets is going to mean more unless, you know, it's COVID depleted. And it's not really. I mean, you just have the jerseys running around, but you you don't have the key players. But both teams are relatively healthy for this game. The Jets had their two guys back. So, yeah, how do we not treat this game like it means a little more? I know, that was the problem, man. Freaking Mitchell. Three for 12, right? Get rid of him. Five turnovers? <laughs> Get rid of him. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Man. Holy cow, what a weak link. I mean, they won those ball games without him, and then he comes back. and uh, So I, I think as far as Jazz shooting, I'm not really alarmed. No. If Mitchell shot what you, whatever you just said. Three of 12. So what? Yeah. I would say a big old so what. They scored 117 points. The percentages are right. The problem was at the other end of the floor. I As care it less. frequently has been against Denver, we remember the playoff series. Yeah, I would stop going back to last year. I mean, I just okay. the, the Jazz yep. are so much different than than they are. They're so much better than they were last year and and or yeah, it's last year in the calendar year now too. I mean, I if because if you need Jamal Murray to score 50 points to beat you, you're going to win. So that's the number one reason why I don't give a crap about last year. And you would say, well, the Jazz needed Mitchell. Yeah, because they didn't have Bogdanovich. <laughs> so they did need him. This year, You know, I assume they'll have Bogdanovich. But the Jazz still lost, and Murray scored all those points. He's not doing that again. So that's why I couldn't care less about last year. That's not going to be a repeat. If they should play them in the playoffs, I promise you that Jamal Murray's not going to have a couple games where he scores over 50 points. So, And then they barely won. Is Jokic going to have another 47? I refuse to answer that on the grounds I couldn't incriminate myself. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I think Jokic doing that is more likely. I'll give you he, that. I'll he's you an that. absolute superstar offensively. I don't see how anybody could argue. The that. only thing that limits his superstardom is that he's in Denver, and they're not historically an important franchise in the NBA, and they're not a top five TV market, and we all think we get overlooked here, but he's getting overlooked in Denver. My gosh, if he was doing this in a Laker uniform, good grief. Place but they are crazy. historically significant in the ABA, though. Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> Good work. Good call by you. So if they would just if they want more publicity, the next home game, play with a red, white, and blue ball. And that, <laughs> boom, they'd get all sorts of publicity. Man. Call so, call themselves the Rockets and play with a red, white, and blue ball. Uh, so uh, you know, I can't guarantee that he's not gonna have massive games, but he's far more likely because he's a one of a kind player. He's the best offensive center all around in the history of the NBA. Nobody can argue that. How in the world can you argue that? That's because you put in the key qualifiers there. So you rule out Kareem because it wasn't all around because he went to one spot on the floor and just kicked everybody's butt for 20 years. Oh, yeah. Same way Shaq went to both those guys. They go into the low post and they completely dominate. But you get to bring in the face-up game from the high post. You get to bring in them running the pick and roll and, and picking and popping and shooting threes. And yeah, well, Shaq didn't do that. 
Kareem didn't do that. Wilt didn't do that. I mean, you can go on down the list. Well, yeah, and you're also for we're not forgetting. You just hadn't gotten to it yet. The eight point six assists See? that he's currently averaging. Right. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Well, they run their offense through him at the top of the key, and he's, he's, he's awesome. awesome. <laughs> there he's, it is. He's just incredible. He is a joy to watch. A play. He is so wildly talented. So I can't say he's not going to go for 35, 40, 45 in a given game against the Jazz or against anybody, against the Lakers, whoever you put out there as the best in the uh, league. I just I cannot say that. Denver's a dangerous team. Uh, they they are. Uh, they you got to give them a little bit of time, as you said. They needed some time to regroup because they had changes. I mean, there's this this uh, Campanzo dude. Who is he? Hmm. I don't even know who he is. But now you know he's starting to come on. So what's he going to be in three or four months? He looked pretty good to me, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, so and Jamarco Green, you know, he's getting more time. What's he going to be uh, going forward? Uh, does he get more time? Does he get more? He's become more significant. Uh, so keep your eye on Denver uh, going forward there. But that that's fine. That, you should have that, man. You should have quality teams at the top. If you don't, then it becomes somewhat of a joke, and it doesn't mean as much. So Denver is something to uh, be concerned about and to, to be watching them. And if you get them in the postseason, you're concerned about them, just like they're concerned about you. I don't think the concern, should they meet, is going to be, well, we got this, or, man, we have no shot. You know, I don't think either team is going to say, we got this, or we have no shot. I don't see that. I see both teams thinking, man, we're going to have to play our best to beat this team because this team's pretty good. And that, for me, as a consumer of the sport, that's exactly what I want when I go into a playoff series. Now, I also want the Jazz to win because, for no reason, it's good for business, obviously. It's great for business. It's the best for business. <laughs> it really as is. As high as I can go. So, selfishly, oh, you know you know which team I'm pulling for because it's just great for our jobs. And that jobs matter, obviously. So, I want to see them. But if I step back from that, I love the fact that if these two teams should face off against each other, whether it's in the first round or the second round or even the third round, the conference final, I love the fact that it's a... Hey, both teams thinking we got a shot to win, but man, we better be on the top of our game because they got a great shot. That that's cool. That's what that, that to me. I'm a sports fan because of the competition of it. That's the essence to to see men, women, whatever it might be, ball out as much as they can. I'm in. I don't care what the sport is. I'm in if they're doing that, and that's what we got here. So that's why I don't want to go too crazy. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge Denver is a threat. To whatever you, as the Jazz, are trying to achieve, Denver can take that from you just as easily as you could take it from them. All of that is true. Uh, and, but the, the biggest concern is how much Denver is trending up and how much more are they going to trend up uh, from here on, on February 1st until we get to the playoffs, and we don't know exactly when that's going to start, but, you know... And, How's that going to trend between now and May? But you can ask the same question of the Jazz. Absolutely. I don't think they've peaked by any stretch. Because then you have Bogdanovich comes back. Well, Mitchell didn't play one of the games that Bogdanovich came back. And then the second game that he did play, Bogdanovich has his stroke. But Mitchell doesn't have his. So they're so the, they're not a finished product by any stretch either. And and I think that's uh, there's those two teams. Now what about the Lakers and Clippers? 
Same the, thing? The Clippers, um, the Clippers and Lakers both had a lot of personnel changes. I mean, my, the, the Clippers lost Montrez Harrell and the Lakers, but the Lakers made multiple moves. I mean, now they got Schroeder, you know, and, and they had other guys coming and going. Yeah, the thing about that, though, they're dependent is on the that everything goes through LeBron. I don't care who you have. Everything goes through LeBron. And the reason why I don't think the adjustment period is going to take that long, because LeBron is the great makeup artist. He can cover up your zits because he's that good, right? He still is that good. But you know i got to fit in with him. Now, you take what the Jazz had last year, and I listened to uh, the Wojnarowski thing with uh, Conley, and you know Conley's talking about, you know, I knew in – uh, Memphis, if I he was he was going to the extreme. If I got no shots in a half, which never would have happened, but he was making a point. If I got no shots in the first half, I knew I was going to get fifteen or twenty in the second half. So they were going to come. So I didn't know where I fit in with the Jazz at the start because they don't have, and even more so last year, they didn't have that one identifiable superstar that your job, no matter who you are, literally no matter who you are in this league. You could be Durant, you could be whomever you want. You've got to fit in with LeBron, not the other way around. So everybody who's coming to the Lakers, you got to fit in with this dude. And he'll tell you how to fit in, right? And you already know that. Well, with the Jazz, it was a lot different. You didn't know. How was it going to work? Who's going to bring the ball up? Just some basic stuff. I mean, forget about this crap that he had to drive a new route to the practice. That was the dumbest thing I ever heard of. I'm worried about once you get in, not what what route you take to how you get there. And I realized that was a point, too, but it was too extreme for me. That's just my own pet peeve. Well, he's ironed, he's ironed it out. They've ironed it out. The transition is over. It took a good long while, but it's over now. So I, the point I'm making is the new players for the Lakers, I don't think that there was – that much of an adjustment because you know I better adjust to him. Whereas the Jazz, they weren't really sure how everything adjusted. Well, now they know, and we see they're playing better, and they could still play a lot more, a lot better than they are now, which I think they'll do. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven-five at twelve eighty. The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up in twenty minutes, right here on ninety-seven-five at twelve eighty. The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated. Over the last eight games and his last 233 minutes on the floor, Mike Conley is a plus 195. That's really <laughs> remarkable. That doesn't even seem possible. That mathematically sounds ludicrous. That he's a net plus for them on the floor is not surprising, but that number seems awfully staggering. The Jazz knew what they were doing when they got him. First season, there might have been a disappointment, and it raised certain understandable questions, including by me. But we knew what the talent was and the leadership capabilities, the scoring, the playmaking, the decision making any team will benefit from his presence just because of what he brings to the table that's what they were hoping to get when they acquired conley and they just took some time maybe for him to have the impact that they foresaw catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big O tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network and now really? your rocky mountain chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend really? and the jump ball is tapped it's controlled by the blazers it's Damian Lillard with the ball. Down to two seconds left. Three for the win. Buries it! And the Blazers win! Damian Lillard, the fadeaway three at the buzzer. And the Blazers win it 123-122. It's a Rip City winner. Mama told me there'd be days like these. Don't quit playing, boy. Unbelievable. 
There's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Damian Lillard, two big three-pointers, including the buzzer beater off the jump ball to snatch a victory out of the jaws of defeat, and they beat the Bulls. And, of course, that was the Blazers' call with the <laughs> – uh, we got the uh, – on the network feed, PK, for the highlights on Talking Sports, we got the uh, the Bulls' call, and that was a much quieter, wow. <laughs> Bummer. But the analyst did – he did he, – he didn't share in the joy, but he did share in the amazement at least, so there's that. All right, uh, other stuff this weekend. In addition to uh, Damian Lillard coming up big, there was a fantastic finish in the Wizards-Nets game. A terrible turnover in the Wizards with a couple of three-pointers in the last uh, 10 seconds, and then the Nets blew a layup. So that was a great finish. It was not a great finish at the PGA Tour at Torrey Pines because Patrick Reed won by five shots. All the fireworks were on uh, Saturday. Did that ball bounce? Yeah. Okay. I don't need to wait for the official then. Clean lift in place. Had a storm here Friday. <laughs> Let me fix this. That got people uh, pretty fired up at Patrick Reed, who already has a has a bad rep, and, and he's, in, in terms of this, he's walking around with a piano on his back, and uh, now he gets to wear this too. Yeah, cheating in sports, cheating in golf. You might as well go out and just I, run people over in your car. I don't know, whatever is uh, gross malfeasance, but cheating in golf. It's funny because the other sports, cheating is viewed so wildly differently. I would say your two favorite sports, it's not that you don't like football and basketball because you do, but you have a passion for baseball and golf. And are they just, if it's a spectrum, they're at complete opposite ends, aren't they? To a degree, but then you have the Astros cheating, which that was just unheard got people, of, yeah. and people losing jobs, and they're phonies, and let's strip them of all this. And, you know, what's-his-face, uh, Bellinger last year, just going off on them in the locker room. and But yet, what 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 is cheating in baseball? I, my guess is that, off the top of my head, people cheat in baseball more than any sport. Mm-hmm. But yet, some form of cheating is outrageous where at golf if you move a blade of grass one thing the ball moves like just the, the, the micro fracture of an inch somebody in timbuktu saudi arabia it calls up <laughs> and you're penalized you know what i mean it's the craziest it. thing yeah yeah totally different ends of the spectrum uh, I also want to commiserate with some fans, and I suppose we probably have some fans uh, here in Utah rooting for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, we were just talking about this in the in the break, about Arenado and the trade to the St. Louis, and it feels like the season is over. And, and I get Colorado, you know, it hasn't started, and it feels like it's over for the Rockies. And I get what they're thinking, because shedding payroll, you didn't have a full season last year. You're not going to have fans in the stands to start this season, not in any real numbers anyway. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. And they're looking at the Dodgers thinking, my gosh, you're way better than us. And then they're looking at the Padres thinking, well, you're way better than us too. Uh, what's the point? Let's slash some payroll. And it sucks for the fans. And the, and the funny thing is this, is this is great for the Padres now because there has been real hype for one year and then incredible off-the-charts hype now going into this year. You know, maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't. But before that, there was a decade where there wasn't hope. Suns fans went through this, and now they have hope because they went and got Chris Paul. These major player moves in the offseason can completely ramp up a team or completely deflate a fan base 
in multiple sports <laughs> before, before the thing even gets going. And this just feels deflating for Rockies fans. Well, it depends on what your fan base, because you look at the St. Louis Cardinals in the last two years now, within a year's time, they acquired Goldschmidt to play first base and Arenado to play third base. So if you're St. Louis, uh, you got to love it. <laughs> those, those are two very yeah. good players that are just going to hit right in the middle of your order, and away you go. And, and the thing about it is, uh, from what I understand, when you give up prospects, you know, I'm not following the minor league system that much. But it seemed like the Rockies didn't get a whole lot. And they just signed Arenado to this big deal less than two years ago. And then last year, he's whining because the team doesn't seem competitive. And that was part of the deal is that they were going to be competitive. And that's one of the reasons why he signed. But, yeah, if you're a Rockies fan and you're a 12-year-old boy following the Rockies, I mean, what a blow. And, And really anybody. Because he became your franchise. Just like trading Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> he's your guy. And he's really, really good. He's great. I mean, I can argue he is the best uh, overall third baseman in the National League since Mike Schmidt. I mean, that's that's how good he is. And now he's out the door. And I've always followed him because, you know, he's a kid out of, uh, I think he's out of the Anaheim area. And he's, you know who he signed with? He signed with the Sun Devils. And uh, so, obviously, he never went there because he became a first-round draft choice, and the money is too outrageous. You can go get your college degree anytime. Well, you sign that deal, you're not going to need it. But, you know, your first-round draft choice, and they're throwing that kind of cash at you, whatever it was, I'm sure it was millions, you got to take it. And so, he's that good. But, yeah, as a Rockies fan, I would be devastated if I were a Rockies fan because he was your guy, and now he's gone. And you build a bond with look at the bond that this community has built with Mitchell in three plus years. It's just incredible. You know, he's going to go down. Who knows? He may it may be the strongest bond ever. May pass the statue someday. You know, he's barely just getting started. So we'll see. Fifteen years later, although I was watching. What did I tell you, Yak? What was I watching? Uh, something. Uh, one of those shows. What's what was it called? I sent you a text oh, on it. Oh, it was oh, High Noon. And they had guys on there, and they're flippantly saying how Mitchell's out of there when he gets his chance. They just It just really bugs me, man, when they say that. I think that is so ignorant when they just assume, oh, he wants out of Salt Lake, and, and he's not going to be happy here. And it's by people who haven't been here to any extent – they don't know what this community is about. They don't know the connection. They just assume somebody wants out. It's not necessarily true. Maybe it will be true, but I don't think it's just an assumption. But when you build a bond like this, they just go, it's just, it's just crushing. And, and I would ask you, you, you've pumped for years that we're Broncos town. What level of Rockies town are we? Not. Nothing? Winning. Why would that be? Winning. The Broncos won for a long time. The Broncos had a 35-year run. So nowhere longer a Broncos That was very good. It's uh, it's starting to fade a little bit. I mean, five years can take the edge off. There's a lot of Bronco fans out there. I mean, there's a lot of Bronco fans. Uh, but the Rockies have never, I mean, what, they've had how many playoff berths? One? Two? Two, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm forgetting something. Um, but it's intermittent. It's intermittent at best. You know, I, I think there's more Dodger fans here. Hey, look, the Dodgers have won.
Okay. So yeah. I think it comes down. It comes down but if to that's winning. The, that's the. That's then. There should be very hardly any Bronco fans then anymore. Well, I don't think that when you're a lifelong fan over decades, I don't think it fades over five years. I mean, you could be mad at the team for the way they well, play. How do you for become five a years? lifelong fan if it's determined upon winning? That doesn't make any sense. No, you, it does too. <laughs> no, it we doesn't. Don't, if you're a here. lifelong fan, then it's irregardless whether they won. You just told me they be, they're Broncos fans because they're winning. Well, if you're a lifelong fan, winning is irrelevant to your lifelong fandom. It helps, but it doesn't matter because you're a lifelong fan. How could you say that doesn't make sense? That, that makes complete sense. 50-year-old guy saw them win for 30 years, 30-whatever, 30 um, and now they haven't won for five years. There's still a ton of Bronco fans here. So they they're not a lifelong good, fan then. They still get good ratings, but the hype, people always, the casual fan flocks and the hype becomes even more. I mean, Scotty G is a lifelong Bronco fan. And right. living in Idaho and in Utah, but he got on because they won. If they'd been terrible when he was a kid, he could be rooting for somebody else. But they were good, so he's on board. See, I think lifelong fan, that lifelong literally means what it means. So you did not get a board because they won. You got a board because you were a lifelong fan. You were born in that area. Your father rooted for that team, whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. Lifelong, a lifelong Cubs fan, winning has no bearing. You're just, that's in your blood. That's who you are. DJ and PK, when we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joins us. Stay with us.